everyone, this is Austin Brewer, and welcome to the first installment of my new podcast, Dopamine and Me. Now, at first glance, you may be wondering what this podcast has to do with and why the title is so outlandish. Well, rest assured, by the end of this episode, you will understand the meaning as well as yearn for more installments as we tackle an extremely relevant and pressing issue in today's society, mental health. Now, of course, you may be thinking, wow, that is still a pretty broad topic, and you're totally correct. Mental health is only a giant umbrella which encompasses many conditions, illnesses, stigmas, and veins of research. But here on Dopamine and Me, we are going to narrow down our scope to mental health of college students. That's right, it's the thing we've all heard about a million times, and we need to hear about it a million times more. What we once called the best years of our lives is turning into the stressed years of our lives. According to Dr. Anthony Rostein of the University of Pennsylvania, in his new book regarding the mental health crisis, which is exploding in our generation and age range. And at first glance, we may be quick to blame our specific universities and believe it must be an isolated incident, but I can assure you this is a nationwide issue. Increasing rates of anxiety, depression, as well as other mental illnesses have began to plague our generation. And in this podcast, we are going to explore why this is and what our university is doing to help us get through the stress days of our lives. So before we dive deeply into this issue, I think it is very important that we begin with the basics for all of those who may not be totally aware of what mental health is. So let's get started. To begin with, what do we think about when we hear the words mental health? At face value, it seems pretty self-explanatory. The word health tends to have a universal denotation of a person's current biological condition. Whether they are disease or illness-free, or whether they are experiencing certain things that affect their capacity to live life. And the word mental also has a denotation of something that is occurring within our own brains and is not occurring within the actual physical world. So when we put the two words together, we get something like the condition our brains or our minds are in, which is simple enough, I think, except there tends to be one problem. No one knows exactly what perfect mental health looks like. Every society and every person has their own definition of what this looks like and feels like. And what makes mental health so interesting is that it's on its very own continuum and we may never be able to fully understand the complexity of our minds and the states that they are in. The reason I'm trying to define this term as loosely as possible is due to the fact that I do not wish to limit anyone's experience with their own mental health based solely on what I would personally define as mental health. 
This podcast is geared towards educating people of all ages, and especially college-age students, who have questions about mental health. And now that we have a general understanding of what mental health is, let's begin to explore aspects of why this is a prevalent issue. As there is good mental health, you can also discern that there are certain states of bad mental health. This ranges from mild conditions to actual diagnosable illnesses like depression, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, bipolar disorder, borderline personality disorder, attention attention deficient disorder, and many, many more. Each of these illnesses present a unique problem to the brain and the people they affect. Everyone experiences mental illness differently, and therefore that is why it is the world of mental health that is so unique. Humans have been observed different types of mental illness throughout history, but it hasn't been until recent developments with modern technology and medicine that we can discern what it is doing to us on an actual biological level. I think we have covered a fair amount of information here regarding what is mental health. So finally, let's dive a little deeper as we discuss the problem at hand, the spike in mental illness amongst college-age students. According to the NIH, the National Institute of Health, in a study they named the Healthy Minds Study, the concerns regarding student mental health has occurred fairly recently, over the past 10 years. And after the study was published, college campuses erupted. There seemed to be a new trend of what can college campuses do for their students. And for some, this task was quite easy. And for others, they're still trying to assess what they can do for their students in the future. In a survey sent out to college presidents regarding mental health on their campuses, there was a staggering amount of data that poured in concerning the state of their students' mental health. A nice thing about this specific survey is that it surveys the different types of institutions. It targets public four-year institutions, private four-year institutions, as well as public two-year institutions. And I think that some of these statistics will actually surprise you all. One of the questions of the survey asked about how frequently the institution heard about mental health concerns on their campus. This was broken down into four categories. Once a week or more, a few times a month, a few times in an academic year, and finally, hardly ever, so some interesting trends to see in this part of the survey is that every type of university acknowledges that they hear these concerns a few times a month and actually at a quite a high rate. And as you may guess, most institutions also said that they are hearing these concerns on a weekly basis. But what is extremely interesting is that there's an outlier here when it comes to the statistic and that lies within the public two-year institutions. They have the highest percentage of cases heard on a month-to-month -month basis, but also the lowest amount of cases that seem to be reported on a weekly basis. Meanwhile, all of the other universities seem to re be reporting about the same percentage of claims. So, 
I have to ask myself, why is this? Is this pointing towards a trend that people who attend a two-year institution have a better state of mental health? Is the setup of a smaller two-year institution more accommodating to students and therefore provides a safer environment? I think we will get a better understanding of this once we begin to dive further into the study. When we move into the next question posed in the survey, it is going to regard how much funding each type of institution has allocated towards mental health resources in the past three years. And as you all would think, of course, the majority of institutions listed that they were allocating a significant more amount of funds into mental health resources and other resources to help address this issue. But what sticks out about this part of the survey is that nearly 40% of public two-year institutions have not adjusted their funding for these resources. So... Of course, in my mind, this could also be playing into the last question of how often they are approached with questions regarding mental health. Because if they do not have the basic resources to, and you know, if they don't have the basic resources in place to screen and hear about the mental health of their students, then of course it would appear that they, they hear about mental health issues less on their campuses. But also, I think in most cases, the total funding available to smaller institutions tends to be less anyway. So maybe, just maybe, just maybe, they can truly not afford to reallocate this money into a capacity where it can be used for this purpose. And that's just an idea of mine. Which, you know, it, it's somewhat fine in my opinion. If you absolutely cannot afford to do this, we totally get it. Please keep our college open. But if you can actually afford to do this and you're just choosing not to, what does this say about the university who is not prioritizing the mental health of their students? Maybe the reason for this less funding by two-year institutions is less due to the sheer fact that mental health issues on their campuses are just less. Of course, we will be discussing this a little more in later episodes, but before we move on to this next part of the podcast, let's talk about something I found extremely interesting. 82% of public four-year institutions has significantly increased funding towards these resources in the past three years alone. This includes our very own institution, the University of Kentucky. To me, this seems like an insane amount to increase, but has it paid off? Are we going to see, are we seeing this funding out into our, our space? Are these resources available and readily available? I think this is the interesting topic that I want to make an entire episode on during this podcast, but for now... Let's move on to this next section, which I'm titling, Know What's Available. Alright, so let's get to the meat and potatoes of this episode. We are now going to survey the services our university, the University of Kentucky, has to offer its students. 
This will not be a detailed survey of each service, but it will be a general overview of what we have to offer. If you're interested in a specific resource, stay tuned for future episodes where I will break down each resource and discuss it in detail. The University of Kentucky, as of March 2020, offers 19 different resources for its students to take advantage of in regards to mental health and mental health awareness. This ranges from services like our counseling center, our multiple support groups, our mindfulness trainings, our behavioral health specialist, as well as our very own relaxation room, which I find this all to be extremely interesting. Each one of these programs offers a unique way for us to check in our mental health and get help if we need it. I'm not going to lie, <laughs> I'm three years into my undergraduate experience and I've definitely taken advantage of a few of these services. And what makes them even better is that they are totally free. The price you would normally pay to attend one of these services out in the community is calculated into our cost of attendance and is therefore free for us to use. We have centers dedicated to assisting minority groups like the LGBTQ community, we have the Martin Luther King Center, we have the Hillary J. Boone Center, and many others that are dedicated to helping minorities throughout their academic experience. But not just helping them academically, but being there as a support system and guide them towards other mental health resources. For the sake of this podcast, I'll spare you all the details, and you can all tune in to future episodes to explore each one of these resources and see which one is the right fit for you, if that's what you're looking for. Now, not surprisingly, UK is actually one of the leading universities in mental health awareness and access to mental health resources. Still, there has to be a price to pay for these services and the prioritization of these initiatives. Over the past few years, we have lost many students to mental illness-related deaths, and this has created a massive drive for mental health awareness amongst our community. We have bound together and have begun to create a safe and inclusive space for students to come to. Of course, there is still a lot of work to be done, but I believe we are on the right track. Suicide is the second leading cause of death of college-age students in the United States. Why is this? Why has this become such an issue? Tune in next week as we explore the topic further and we begin to discuss the origins of the stressed years of our lives. This is Austin Brewer signing off. Thank you so much for tuning in to Dopamine and Me.